This talk is offered by Ordinary Minds Zen teacher Andrew Tutel. Andrew is an Australian Dharma heir of Barry Majid and is dedicated to extending Barry's vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Find out more at ordinarymind.com.au. Andrew's Zen teachings are made possible by donations from people like you. So I thought I'd talk today on the teacher or the student-teacher relationship in our Zen tradition <clears throat> because it's a, a core part of the tradition and the practice of Zen. And often it's a little bit unclear as to the form that takes and, um, and indeed in our contemporary practice here in the West, in Australia, um, you know, it, it can vary from one Zen centre to another and from one student to another. So what I'm going to talk about um, the distinction between lay practice and monastic Zen, the traditional lineage of awakening, my experience of the student-teacher relationship, I'm going to ask a couple of questions which you can sort of contemplate. What does it mean to be a teacher and what does it mean to be a student? Then I'll just finish by a discussion of um, the, the practice <coughs> of dana, or whether or not uh, Zen teaching should become professionalised. <coughs> so the, um, the, uh, this, this uh, student-teacher thing goes right back to the beginnings of the, uh, of the, uh, the Zen tradition, uh, symbolised when uh, Shakyamuni Buddha held up the flower and Mahakasyapa smiled, and so the Dharma was then transmitted to Mahakasyapa, and so on right down to today. Um, <coughs> In some ways, those questions about what does it mean to be a student, um, it's, it's kind of like a, what does it mean to be a Zen student? So it's a good, good, good question. It's kind of like a koan in a way, mm. something that you can chew on. And um, again, it's, it's, it's a lot more ambiguous these days because we don't practice monastic Zen. Um, uh, I'm a member of what's called the... Uh, the Lay Zen Teachers Association. Primarily, it's, uh, it's members are from the USA, but there's a few Australian members from the Ordinary Mind School. Um, and um, I'll just quote, this is a, a quotation from Barry's book, um, Nothing is Hidden. And when he talks about America, we can substitute Australia for that. So, America does not have a tradition of family-run temples, as they do in Japan, or of centralised training monasteries. Lay practice is coming out of the shadow of the monastic ideal and represents a new path for practice, training and transmission of the Dharma. Above all, we are beginning to recognize the importance of pace and sustainability to a lifelong practice. 
We need styles of practice that support and strengthen our relationships, marriages and families. The old model of home leaving shouldn't translate for us as home wrecking. This is a lesson that I and many of my generation learned the hard way. So, traditionally, as you all know, the, uh, in Buddhism, the concept of the home lever was the monastic ideal. And uh, the uh, whole of the Zen tradition in uh, China, and for most of the time in Japan, was primarily a monastic practice. Um, it was only uh, probably in the 19th century that I think that uh, Japanese uh, Zen priests were allowed to marry and have their little temples. Um, in the West, the concept of lay Zen is, 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 is more dominant than monastic Zen. There are a few kind of monasteries in the USA, but uh, the the vast majority of Zen teachers <coughs> in the USA are, are lay. Uh, a lay. Lay is not a word I would necessarily choose myself because it comes from the word laity, as it's distinct from clergy. So it still carries some sort of religious connotation. In some ways, it's, uh, you know, Gurdjieff's notion of the fourth way is probably more appropriate. In other words, we are not, we're not monks, we're not religious ascetics, we're not yogis, we're just ordinary folk living our ordinary lives and coming together to practice this very ancient tradition. So there's a lot of differences between monastic and non-monastic Zen. Um, for example, it's probably, uh, we don't sit as long, that's one very simple example. Um, the uh, um, we are uh, hoping and, and we're pretty confident now that uh, a Zen Roshi will be coming out to uh, join us for our uh, we've moved our um, uh, end of the year residential retreat from October to November to accommodate uh, um, Jinin San the Roshi Jinin 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 San Kate's been um, supporting him to come to Australia for about seven years. And uh, it'll be a wonderful opportunity to sit with him in November. And so he's, he's a Zen master who's practiced traditional monastic Zen, like he would do uh, a weekly session once a month and uh, a seven-day session or a seven-day retreat, where you sit for many, for, in his centre, it's 40 minutes, but in a lot of Soto centres, it's 50 minutes. So you're sitting most of the day, and most of the morning, most of the afternoon, most of the <coughs> evening. Now, we don't do that, so that's one big difference. Um, but that doesn't mean to say that uh, our practice is somehow less than uh, monastic practice. They're just two different styles of practice. The... The traditional way of being a, a monk or an ascetic or yogi would have been making 
you know, enlightenment or realization or awakening your number one priority above everything else. Hence the home-leaving ideal. You know, the very narrative of Buddhism starts with the, the young Shakyamuni leaving his family to prioritize realization. So I, I would say that in our practice, um, we, more, more, we prioritize bringing together awakening and what some people refer to as growing up. Basically, dealing with all those kinds of developmental issues and developmental stages that we all go through. And uh, we see that as being just as important as waking up. We want to bring the two together. Whereas in monastic practice, they, they prioritize waking up. Mm. We prioritize growing up because that's where we practice. We practice within, within our relationships and families and workplaces. Probably a lot about... Um, so, um, those issues are always coming up for us. We um, honor our tradition and we honor our teachers. In the uh, traditional lineage of Zen Buddhism uh, in the, the Sangha in New York where I practiced they uh, traditionally also chant uh, the lineage and um, the lineage chant starts off with the mythological Buddhas there's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six mythological Buddhas before you get to Shakyamuni that's the lineage chart that is chanted in, uh, in Zen Buddhism. And uh, it basically goes like a, a chant like Bibashi Butsu Dayo Sho, Shiki Butsu Dayo Sho, Bishu Papu Butsu Dayo Sho, then the Shakyamuni Butsu Dayo Sho, Mahakasho Dayo Sho, Nanda Dayo Sho, goes down to Bodhidharma, Bodhidharma Dayo Sho, through all the Chinese ancestors, then it goes to Ehe Dogen Daiosho, because we are in the Soto lineage, and then to uh, Ong, through all the Japanese teachers, till it gets to um, Taizan Haku Daiosho, who was Joko's teacher, then to Joko Beck Osho, and then down to Barry Majid Osho. Then to old, little old me. <laughs> Um, hey, what, what do they mean? It's just an honorific for a teacher. Okay. Osho teacher. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that's been the myth of Zen, is this, this notion of transmission from one teacher down to the next teacher and the lineage keeps on going. And in the West, that that continues. So uh, what we normally do, like, uh, is um, the student is given Dharma transmission initially as a teacher in training or as an assistant teacher, and then is given independence, um, so that that teacher, when they become an independent teacher, can make someone else an assistant teacher, and so the lineage continues. 
and we've been working on a constitution to, um, to establish that kind of transition for our Sangha, and, uh, and which also makes the teacher accountable to the, in, all, in, in nearly every aspect, the teacher accountable to the Sangha, except for the, uh, the transmission of the teaching. And, um, but the, the Sangha has to approve the, the teacher. And um, so I just said a few words about my experience of the student-teacher relationship. So, you know, men, a long time ago, I, I, almost start, I almost became a student of Jeff, Jeff Dawson in Sydney, but I moved, so that didn't quite happen. And uh, so I spent many years, like many of you have done, just sort of practicing on my own. Sometimes sitting with the Sydney Zen Center, Went through my Burmese phase and sat with the Insight Centre at Medlar Bath. And um, it wasn't actually until uh, around about 2002 I read Barry's first book and sent him an email <clears throat> and we started to correspond that that then morphed into him becoming my teacher. And, um, and it wasn't, it was like something was just happened as it went along, as the relationship grew and developed. And um, so I was practicing with, you know, in, in, in that relationship, asking him questions, sometimes visiting him, doing ret some retreats with him. And um, uh, I, would, I, would, I would characterize it as a very important relationship in my life. Uh, and, and one like in our tradition, in the ordinary mind tradition, where we, we, we integrate these growing up issues along with the awakening issues. And uh, so it, uh, there's that in, almost like that integration between Zen and psychotherapy at times. Mm. Um, and um, so after about 11 years of, of that relationship, he then gave me permission to be an assistant teacher or a teacher in training. And then, as you know, after five years last year, I became an independent teacher, but I still maintain my relationship with him, and uh, and uh, so that will be a lifelong relationship. I don't see that ever ending. I might not go to New York again, or I might go one more time, but um, and he's unlikely to come here. But we can we can talk on Zoom or send emails. It's, we just keep in constant touch with each other. Um, and uh, the, so the, the, the kind of the ordinary mind sort of student-teacher relationship was just very much a very, um, um, didn't have any set curriculum. There was no kind of um, requirements as such. Uh, something that you kind of like almost like made up as you were going along, but more like a, a kind of, more like a psychotherapy relationship in a way, but, but one that, which is lifelong. It's not about, um, sort of coming to an end at some point. And, um, but I did have the experience of also working with two teachers in the, in the other lay Zen tradition in Australia, the Diamond Sangha. So I, I, I had a relationship teacher, student teacher relationship with Sexton Berg and, uh, and when Sexton died, I had a teacher, student teacher relationship with Ellen Davison. Uh, and uh, at the same time, Barry was my primary teacher, so it was, it was, it was a little bit unusual to have a relationship with uh, uh, 
another teacher while I was still having the, a relationship with Barry. Um, a little bit polyamorous, but not right. <laughs> um, but you see, because I was based in Australia and Barry was based overseas, it sort of like made some sense. And uh, the, the teacher-student relationship in the Diamond Sangha um, was more around kind of like going through the Koan curriculum. So when we were meeting either during the week or on a retreat, um, the primary interaction was one about um, a coin, and uh, there was not very little about what you might call the, the growing up issues. Um, so um, it was pretty much straight on the doing, doing, going through the coin curriculum, because in that particular tradition, you go through the coin curriculum, and then you, you then you go through this the study of what's called the five ranks and then I think you finish with the precepts and, um, and then at some point you might become a teacher down that, going down that path. Well, look, because Joko um, did away with the Cohen uh, curriculum in, in the Ordinary Mind Zen School, we don't have a, a Cohen curriculum. And uh, just not, so what we do is we kind of like use Cohen's as stories we can discuss and how they can shine some light on our practice. So what does it mean to be a teacher? Well, as Shenru Suzuki said, um, you're perfect as you are and you can do with a little improvement. So just because one is a Zen teacher, um, one, is, uh, one still has one's issues. And um, as you all are aware of that, sometimes those issues might be uh, alcoholism. Sometimes there might be sexuality. Um, you know, I, I'm always uh, quite surprised by some of the stuff which comes up for me after still after many years of therapy and Zen. There's still always stuff coming up, whether it's around my father or something else. And uh, so that's a never-ending process. That kind of working through the, all that, all those issues that come up for us. So teachers still also have a lot of growing up to do as well. Doesn't matter how profound our spiritual experiences might be, but there's still a lot of growing up to be done. And uh, as you know, relationships are not easy, whether you're a Zen teacher or not. In fact, one of the benefits of um, our, our kind of fourth way practice is that we do get that challenge of relationships all the time. And, and as you know, that, that there can be some of the hardest challenges we face whether it be ones of um, yeah, conflict, loss, whatever. Um, <clears throat> so every teacher also, as I've mentioned to you before, is still a student. And so, um, and of course, the ultimate teacher is life itself. So as a teacher, I, I do my best to share my understanding and my insights, expressing that through Dharma talks, through discussions, through individual interviews. Um, sometimes uh, students might see me as therapy clients, uh, sometimes it's just in the interviews on retreats. But you're always, any of you here, so you're always welcome to send me an email if you have a question or anything like that as well. Um, sometimes I, I might see uh, um, someone in therapy for many years who's also a Zen student. Uh, sometimes I might see someone who's um, living uh, not 
in this particular region, and I might do like a, a 15 or 30 minute Zoom session or something like that. Um, of course, the other part of being a teacher is, is, is helping a Sangha to grow and to be here for a Sangha, to provide a Sangha some kind of anchor and hopefully for the Sangha to become independent of the teacher, is what every teacher would, mm. would like. Um, so what does it mean to be a Zen student? Uh, again, as I said to you before, this is, um, we're all engaged in exploring that. It's all mm. going to be different for each, each one of you. Mm. And uh, there are many teachers in our lives. But you just got to ask yourself the question, I mean, what kind of relationship do you want to have with the teacher? Um, some people have been badly hurt in spiritual relationships uh, or in other religious contexts and maybe a bit wary about getting close to a teacher. Some people might just be very wary about relationships full stop <laughs> um, uh, because of all the hurt they may, we may have experienced in relationships. Um, so we'll have those kinds of issues that come up in a student-teacher relationship as well. So, so some students are going to be, perhaps uh, maintain more of a distant relationship, others will be a bit closer, but it's, 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 um, we just work that out as we go along. Um, some, uh, the, I mean, the good thing about the Ordinary Mind Zen School is that you can see that the, the, the teacher is very human. And uh, it's very difficult for you to have a transference of putting me up on the pedestal of a guru because uh, I don't think I have that kind of aura about me. And uh, when you get close to me, you don't have these spontaneous enlightenment experiences. Um, so, um, as I said, so it's, it's, it's a very much an open book, um, you know, um, and uh, this is, we've got this quite interesting development in the West where a lot of Zen teachers are psychotherapists. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's quite good to, uh, to use that as, as, as a means of integrating our, our, our practice with our, with our therapy. Um, on, uh, sp often, because we're quite limited in this space for doing individual interviews. There really isn't an interview room, but when we do the residential retreats at Yarrawarra, I try and make sure that there's time set aside for people to have interviews with me on those residential retreats. Mm. And uh, I mean, the other question too about being a Zen student is what kind of relationship do you want to have with the Sangha and how much do you want to get involved with the Sangha? And what does the Sangha mean to you? And how do we build the Sangha? And uh, the Sangha always gives us opportunities for practicing some kind of service. Uh, and I uh, would encourage you to think of the different ways you can, you can get involved in that way. Um, so that leads me to the final point about um, the question of dana and the fresh professionalization. So look, from my perspective, um, I want to keep the notion of dana going. So on retreats, whether it's a one-day retreat or whether it's an ordinary session like this or whether it's a residential session, I'm going to follow in my teacher's footsteps and his teacher's footsteps and continue to do the, uh, have a fee which pays for the actual, goes to the, the retreat centre and then to, uh, then you, you, you pass around the basket at the end of the diner. 
and we'll mm. continue doing that. It gets a little bit blurred with the um, having like so my psychotherapy is my living. So in terms of uh, mm -hmm. psychotherapy client relationships, they will have that's the usual fee structure. And if someone wanted to, to, to do like a 30 minute interview with me during the week, that would also be uh, uh, a fee for that a pro rata kind of thing. So anything within my kind of, I work four days a week uh, and from nine to five more or less. That's my, that's my professional life, that's my livelihood, so I get paid for that. But uh, all my activities outside of that are given freely. Um, so I would, I'm not in favour of Zen teaching becoming professionalised. Um, but I can understand that there may be some people who are spiritual teachers or meditation teachers who don't have a psychotherapy practice and they have to make a living. So that's some kind of different kind of setup. Um, so.